reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 39. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Megadon. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ. Good morning, everyone. I've got a confession to make. I... I forgot my story stick, <laughs> so we'll have to uh, we'll have to make do. Uh, let's let's pray to God. Heavenly Father, uh, there are some tricking, uh, uh, tricky and confronting words uh, in this passage today. Words that make us uneasy. Father, would you please help us to understand as you would have us understand. Make things clear to us by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I can remember when I was around six years old, I started at a new school. And I felt like a complete outsider. We'd we'd just moved to the area, and most of the other students had been at the school for a while. And one day, we were practicing our writing. And I didn't have a clue what was going on, So I did what anyone in my position would do. I copied the guy next to me. 
Now, I, try, I tried to blend in uh, just by, by copying this guy, and uh, the teacher was walking around, checking on people's writing and offering feedback, and eventually she got to me. She looked at my book, and then she kind of gave me this funny look. And in front of the class, she said, that's really neat, but your name's not Alec, and you're not an only child. <laughs> now, it was, uh, it was pretty obvious by that stage that I was, a, I was the new kid. Uh, it's never nice when you feel like an outsider. I'm sure some of you will have experienced that feeling at some stage or another, whether it be at school or at university or in the workplace. Or perhaps you've experienced the feeling of being an outsider in places you wouldn't have expected. Among friends, at family gatherings, maybe you've felt that way in your own home. Or perhaps even at church. It can be horrible to feel like an outsider. Almost as if people don't want you there. It's a feeling that we all try and avoid. It's a feeling that the woman who we just heard about in the reading would certainly have felt. Jesus and his disciples would have had her feeling like an outsider. And I'm sure it made us feel a little bit uneasy as, we, as it was read. It didn't seem like the Jesus that we're used to hearing about. Not the compassionate, caring and loving Jesus that we're used to. Well, don't panic because there's more here than, than meets the eye. In fact, through the passage, we come to see that something uh, we come to see something of God's heart for the outsider. And my prayer for us this morning is that as we see God's heart for the outsider, it would lead us to two things: gratitude and humility. Gratitude and humility. So, if you have a Bible, keep it open, and let's take a look at uh, these verses. And you'll notice there's two seemingly separate parts. Verses 21 to 28, and then verses 29 to 39. And we're mainly going to focus on the first part, but we'll, we'll touch on the second part as well. Now, after his encounter with the Pharisees last week, Jesus withdraws to Tyre and Sidon. He's withdrawn a couple of times already, but this time marks a significant moment in Matthew's Gospel. This time, he withdraws, not from people in general, but from the Jewish people from his own people. He withdraws to a Gentile region. Gentile simply meaning anyone who's not Jewish. And he goes to a region that's very much opposed to God. And Matthew makes this crystal clear for us when he describes the woman who approaches Jesus. She's a Canaanite woman. Now you may, you may remember that in the Old Testament the Canaanites were the enemies of God's people. They occupied the land that God had promised to them they worshipped false gods. So this woman is an enemy, which makes what happens next all the more surprising. She cries out to Jesus, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. It's remarkable that this woman not only calls him Lord, but knows about Jewish history. She knows that Jesus is a descendant of David. It's also remarkable that she comes to Jesus for help. See, the Canaanites, they had their own false gods that they would usually turn to. But she comes to Jesus, believing that he can help 
her daughter. But Jesus gives her nothing. He treats her like an enemy of God. He doesn't say a thing to her as if she wasn't even there. And his response, to, his response here is exactly how a Jewish rabbi would have treated her. She's a Canaanite. She's unclean because her daughter is possessed. So they wouldn't go near her. And at this point, the disciples, they start to get a little bit frustrated. Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. The disciples know the region that they're in. They know what the people here are like. And they want nothing to do with this woman. Uh, Well, if you think the disciples' words are harsh, then I'm sure Jesus' words later will raise a few eyebrows. Well, having ignored the woman, Jesus finally speaks. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus reveals something of his mission on earth. He's come for his lost people. Israelites who are spiritually blind, as we heard last week. Now, the majority of Jesus' ministry so far has been to these lost sheep. In fact, in chapter 10, when Jesus sends out his disciples, he specifically tells them only to go to the lost sheep of Israel, not to the Gentiles, just to the lost sheep. And so when this Canaanite woman comes to him, he tells her that she's not a part of his plans. Now put yourself in the shoes of this Canaanite woman for just a, just a moment. You're desperate for your daughter to become better. You've heard whispers about Jesus, about healings and miraculous power and authority. And to your shock, you find out that he's nearby. And so, of course, you jump at the opportunity to try and have him heal your daughter. It's a no-brainer. But then he ignores you. His followers don't want anything to do with you. And when he finally speaks to you, it's to tell you that he's not here for people like you. It would have been very easy at that point for the woman to walk away, dejected, angry, aware that she doesn't fit in. But instead, she lowers herself to her knees and she pleads once more, Lord, help me. It's Jesus' words at this stage that are particularly shocking. Listen to what he says. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. He basically calls the woman a dog. They are ruthless words, but words that represent how any Jew would treat an unclean Gentile. He's claiming that it's not right for him to tend to to her needs because he needs to tend to the needs of the children, the lost sheep of Israel. And to this point, that is true. Jesus has been sent to the Jews to call them to repentance and faith, to deal with their unclean hearts as we heard last week. They are his priority. And so he tells her, Now, this actually isn't the first time that Jesus has used such strong language. Back in chapter 7, when Jesus was teaching the crowds, he said, Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. In other words, don't give valuable things to those who won't appreciate it. In our passage, the bread seems to be spiritual food, nourishment. It's intended for the children of Israel. It's not to be wasted on those who don't value it or appreciate it. Now, in general, 
dogs will eat anything that they can get to. But this top-of-the-line bread, this freshly baked, high-fiver bread, was meant specifically for the Israelites. Well, after three times, uh, three times being rejected from Jesus, you would think that this woman would finally take a hint and move on. But not this woman. She is persistent. Firstly, she disagrees with Jesus. And then she gives her reasoning. Uh, and it's, it's a really beautiful scene. She acknowledges that she's an outsider. But she paints a picture of a dog with its master. Now, I know some of you here own dogs, so it won't be hard for you to picture this. When you're eating, the moment a crumb drops to the ground, the dog is there to mop it up. Now, when some of us eat, we drop uh, more crumbs than others, uh, which, is, which seems like a waste to whoever provided the food. But that's not how the dog views it. The dog is over the moon. So the woman turns Jesus' illustration on its head. She shows him that she values the breadcrumbs. She values the bread. She doesn't take offence at Jesus' words. In humility, she recognises her position as an outsider, but is grateful for anything that Jesus will provide, even just a little crumb. She's on her knees pleading to the one whom she knows is able to grant her request. And her humility here is, is admirable. At a time where many Jews fail to see what Jesus is offering them, this Canaanite woman persists in asking Jesus for mercy. She thinks if Jesus has come for the lost sheep of Israel, then what's he doing here in a Gentile region? And Jesus seems to have been testing the woman, and her persistence prompts Jesus to announce, Woman, you have great faith. And he does what she asks, and her daughter is healed. Uh, so there's the, the first part, verses 21 to 28. Now, the second part, verses 29 to 39, should seem a little bit familiar. The reason being, we looked at a very similar passage a few weeks ago. The feeding of the 5,000, also known as the feeding of the 15,000, copyright JB in 2021. Uh, and because we looked at chapter 14 recently, we won't spend too much time uh, looking at it now, looking at chapter 15, but it seems very strange that Matthew would include two similar passages one chapter after the other. Is Matthew just the kind of guy who gets overly excited about things and then repeats the same stories? Well, no, he's, he's much more intentional than that. People often refer to chapter 14 as the feeding of the 5,000 and chapter 15 as the feeding of the 4,000. But there are two other key differences between these passages that we'll focus on. The first can be found in verse 29. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. He then went up on a mountainside and sat down. Uh, and what it's telling us is Jesus is still in Gentile territory. So the feeding of the 5,000 was among Jews, but the feeding of the 4,000 is among Gentiles. So rather than just showing mercy to one Gentile, Jesus now shows mercy to thousands. There's no mention of crumbs or dogs. Rather... There are basketfuls of, basketfuls of loaves and Jesus says he has compassion for these people. And it points to a shift in the gospel to bless those outside of Israel as well. 
a shift to also bless Gentiles. Now, the second difference is is the response of the Gentiles. In chapter 14, when Jesus heals the sick, Matthew doesn't mention their response. But in chapter 15, when Jesus heals multiple people, they are amazed. And in verse 31, they praised the God of Israel. They praised the God of Israel. There's gratitude. They don't take it for granted. Uh, And as as we close, I think there are two things which we need to take away from this passage. Firstly, it calls us to respond to God's mercy with gratitude. The Gentiles' response to Jesus' mercy and compassion was to praise God. Now, I think some of us here are good at doing this, and it's really encouraging to see. But others among us will respond to God's mercy with indifference. We take God's mercy towards us for granted. We've heard today about one of the early examples of God having mercy on people outside of Israel. I hope it's reminded us of the fact that we were all outsiders at one stage, that we were all opposed to God. But for some reason, God, in his mercy, in his wisdom, chose to have mercy on us. Now we're sharing uh, communion next week, and one of the lines we say together before we receive the bread and the wine is taken from today's verse. Uh, verses. It says, We are not worthy even to gather the crumbs from under your table. But you are the same Lord whose nature is always to have mercy. You see, we were just like that Canaanite woman. Enemies of God. Those who were shown compassion and mercy. We say these words every month, but we can still forget that God has been merciful to us. And when we forget, we lose our gratitude. It was Charles Spurgeon who said, So long as we are receivers of mercy, we must be givers of thanks. So long as we are receivers of mercy, we must be givers of thanks. I pray that our gratitude at the mercy that we've received would be so obvious to others that it would just overflow in our lives. Secondly, the passage calls us to accept God's mercy with humility. And what do, I, what do I mean by that? Well, one, don't be so proud as to think that God's mercy is somehow beyond you. I think many of us sometimes think this. Maybe you feel like an outsider because of the depths of your sin. The fact that God shows mercy here to a Canaanite woman shows us that the forgiveness he offers is not beyond our sin. As you struggle with sin, and it is meant to be a struggle, take comfort in knowing that your brothers and sisters around you are also struggling alongside you. But also know that the mercy that God offers covers over your sin. Let us, let us join with the Canaanite woman on our knees, and echo her cry. Lord, have mercy on me. Two, show humility when God draws in the outsider. Be careful that our attitude is not, this, is not like what we saw in the disciples today. Send her away. Let's make sure that we're not the ones who are making people feel like outsiders. 
Many of you won't remember what it's like being new at church. Some of you have been here longer than I've been alive, uh, which is very impressive. But some of you will know what it's like to be new. We know God's plans are to call people from all over the world to himself. And I think as a church, we're, we're pretty good at that part, thinking globally. But part of God's plan is also for us to reach people in our community. Let's make sure we show an openness to those who are open to Jesus, both at church and during the week. Lilia and I were talking yesterday about uh, three different friends of ours who are, who are from non-Christian, non-church backgrounds, who all said to us when we, when we got back from New Zealand, they'd like to come along to a service to support us. Now, the first thoughts that went through my mind were all the reasons that I didn't think they'd really be interested in coming. They would think it's weird. They wouldn't understand what was going on. They probably won't like singing. They'd feel like outsiders. As if those things are barriers for God calling people to himself. But sometimes when new people turn up at church, our attitudes can seem to say, send them away, send them away. Uh, there's already too many names to try and remember or someone else will chat to them. Uh, I once had a friend overseas uh, come to a church service. It wasn't here. Uh, and after the service, we ended up uh, be, uh, getting separated because we were having different conversations. Uh, but when I found them again, they had been sitting alone for, for five or ten minutes. Sometimes we can get so absorbed in our own little bubble, uh, we can get overwhelmed by the number of people around that we can quickly forget God's heart for the outsider. We've seen it on display today. And we'll continue to see it as we work our way through uh, the rest of the Gospel of Matthew uh, and even the rest of the Bible. My prayer for us as a church is that we would continue to grow in our humility and that it would grow in us a willingness to welcome the outsider, just as we've been welcomed by our Lord Jesus. Amen. Are we going to have a time of prayer now? And Josh is going to come up and lead us in that. Uh, thanks for that, John. Uh, I don't know about everyone else, but um, that's definitely left me with a lot to think on. Uh, we're now going to enter a time of prayer, so uh, please bow your heads with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you thankful for your great love for us. We thank you that you have made it possible for us to enter your presence and enjoy a personal relationship with you. As we gather here today, we remember the great privilege that it is to be able to call you our Father. Humble us, Lord, and help us to remember your Son, through whom we have been redeemed and reconciled with you. We thank you for your great forgiveness and mercy, Lord. Although we inevitably fall short of your standards, we accept, uh, you accept us still when we turn to you. Please strengthen our faith in you and support us in the times when our faith is wavering. Lord, we pray for the ministries today in St. Stephen's, thinking particularly this morning about the children's programs that are run here every Sunday. We give you thanks for the faithful planning and leadership of Melanie, Lee, David, Jenny, and Miriam. Thank you for the solid teaching that they bring to the kids every week. 
I pray that you would continue to provide them with wisdom and energy as they continue serving you in this way. Thank you for providing a willing team of leaders who give their time to support this ministry. We ask that the hearts of the kids would be softened towards you and that they would grow to a full understanding of who you are and your great love for them. We pray, Lord, for those in our congregation who have gone overseas to serve you. Continue to watch over them and tend to their needs. We ask that they would be encouraged in their ministry and that they would see fruit grow from their work. Lord, keep them safe from the things of this world and from the power of the evil one as they work to spread the gospel. We ask, Lord, that you would help all of us to be bold in our faith and to remember that the good news of Jesus is needed in every country of the world. Keep us from growing complacent and help us to conquer the fear of rejection. Fill us instead with a longing to see your name proclaimed and shared with all who would hear it. Give us your desire to see people saved and come to you. Help us to share in your love for the lost and grant that it may move us to action. Help us to be so moved by the love you have shown us in your son that we couldn't help but share it with those who are lost. All this we pray in your name. Amen.